Welcome, everybody. Thanks for uh, being here this morning. Welcome to those that are watching online. Hey, if you're new, um, either in person or online, I would ask one thing of you. If you wouldn't mind, fill out one of those connection cards. Uh, if you're in, in person in the seats in front of you and put in one of those black boxes when you leave, or if you're online, you can click on that QR code and it'll take you to our site and you can fill that out, but that would be wonderful. Hey, um, I was at Food Lion, of all places, this week, and I was in the checkout line, and this sweet young girl looked at me, and she said, do you speak at Orchard Hills? <laughs> I said, yes, I do. And uh, she said, I thought you looked familiar. And so, if you don't know me, I am Scott McLucas, and I speak at Orchard Hills, and I do some other things as well. Um, I've got the honor and the privilege to speak to you today about the Sermon on the Mount. This is probably Jesus' most counter-cultural speech or sermon that he ever gave, that he ever gave. And he was speaking directly to his disciples, his followers. And the setting was a beautiful place. It's on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's really at this crossroads that we've talked about in weeks prior that, that really joins, acts as a bridge, if you will, joining the nations to the West in Europe, the kingdoms, the kingdoms of Asia to the East, and the kingdoms of Africa in the South. And all these various kingdoms and these people, these kingdoms, would cross through this place on this ancient Roman road. And you would see this collision of sorts of all these different cultures and belief systems. And it's at that location that Jesus invited his disciples to step back, to climb up on a hill, a mountain, if you will. And he began to teach them. Now, this morning, I do not have a map for you. I know there's the alls. I know it's sad. But I got a picture and, and a picture, I think, is even better. This is a picture of a group of us that were there in June in this very place, the setting where Jesus was, was speaking to his disciples. That's, that's what we looked like. And um, that's Sam. You remember Sam who was with us just a, a few weeks ago? And, and we went over the uh, entire speech, the entire sermon of Jesus, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And between us and there, there's an ancient Roman road. And that was the crossroads of all these various people and these various kingdoms. That's the setting in which Jesus was giving us these most powerful countercultural sayings. And he was calling us out. And it's interesting, too, just as that's sort of a ragtag bunch of people right there. But the, uh, that Jesus' message was to average ordinary people. And he was saying, I want to use you to not only change your community, but to change the world forever. Can you imagine what a daunting task that must have felt like? And I believe that was not only a message for them, but it's been a message for every disciple since then. It is a message for us. And he's calling us to be different because we are different if we are followers of his. And he wants to use us to change our community, but also to change the world forever. Now, Sutton spoke last week about the call to be different, and he used the Beatitudes to initiate that call. What we're going to do today in the weeks to come are, are look at some practical ways that we are to be different, to be different. Now, I think it's important to remember 
Um, Jesus isn't calling us just to act different, to act different, to be more moral, if you will. That is not the call. He, he's not saying that I want you to just adopt these, these more moral behaviors, so to speak. He's saying, I, I want to transform you. I want to transform you. When you come to me and you humble yourself and, and you believe in me as your Lord and as your Savior, you are different. Because what I'm going to do with you is I'm going to change your life forever. I'm going to transform you by placing my spirit within you. So I want you to be different because you are different. You are different. Don't just try harder. Just be. Just be. So um, that's the context. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses um, 13 through 16 here together. Um, beginning at verse 13, this is um, what Jesus was saying to them. He begins remembering, okay, he's speaking to his disciples, to his disciples in the midst of all these different people passing by before them. He says, you, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus is using two household commodities to illustrate this very important point. What he's saying is, is we are to be different. And he uses salt and he uses light to do that. So notice how he begins. He says, you... You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Again, speaking to his disciples, it's a definitive statement that he's making. He, he's saying, you, you are, you are the salt of the earth. He's not saying, you, you need to try harder to be like salt. Just try harder. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, be different because you are different. I have transformed you. Be different because you are different. Be salty. Be salty. And so um, if you guys have been getting those Lenten devotions and, and following them that Sutton sends out on a daily basis, um, you may remember that there are certain functions of salt. And, it, and there's a number of functions. We're going to focus on two functions of salt and then one reaction to salt. So first of all... Um, Salt is a preservative. Salt is a preservative. And it can keep things like meat from rotting and decaying, right? And this was really important in Jesus' day. Remember, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers back in those days. And so meat would quickly spoil and rot. It would be no good. So they would use salt to preserve it. Salt to preserve it. Think in, in terms like beef jerky, right? Like you don't have to refrigerate that stuff. You just leave it wherever you want, and it's, it's still good. You can eat on it for a long time. See, that's foreign to us, not the beef jerky, 
But the whole idea that um, things would spoil, because a lot of us, we'll go out there, we'll butcher a cow or we'll butcher a deer, and we freeze it, and we've got it for a year or more to eat on. But that was not the case back then. Salt was so valuable because it preserved things. That's one example. That's one of the functions of salt. Secondly, salt adds flavor. Salt adds flavor. If you look at the ingredients of most things that you eat, guess what you're going to find? Salt. Salt. If you go to anybody's um, dinner table or you go out to a restaurant, what do you typically find right in the middle of the table? Salt. And if you don't have salt, what do you do? You ask for some salt. That happened to me last night. I was out. I was like, where is the salt? We, we like our salt, don't we? we? We like the flavor that it adds to our lives. So salt adds flavor. Now, um, not only does it act in that way, but it also has a reaction as well. And think about this. So um, not only does salt help to preserve and it, it, it improves taste, but it makes us thirsty, doesn't it? So when you eat a lot of salt, what do you look for? You look for some water, right? And, and you need to drink it because you are now thirsty. And that provides an important bodily function that salt and water are used to really maintain this balance of bodily fluids in our lives so that our muscles and so our nerves function properly. So salt makes us thirsty. So how does that all work together to inform us about how we are to be different? Well, here's what I see. First thing is that we... Personally, we are to help preserve goodness and godliness in the world. We are to help preserve goodness and godliness in this world. Contrary to popular belief, people are not inherently good and godly. We are not inherently good or godly. And so we, as followers of Jesus disciples of his, people who have been transformed by the indwelling of his spirit, need to help preserve God's goodness and his glory forever and ever. That's part of our role, part of our function. That's what we're called to do. Now, um, there's a battle going on, though, right? There's a battle uh, between what we call the flesh. This is our our natural desire, our our passions. Um, And there's a a battle going on between the spirit. And so we've got this battle. We, if we are followers of Jesus, if we received his spirit, so we are people of the spirit, but we still battle the flesh. And and Galatians chapter 5 describes this. And uh, this is why we're supposed to be different and how it looks. So beginning in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Isn't that a different message from the world? What's the world say? Do whatever you want. If it feels good, do it. Do it. That's contrary to the Spirit. Um, It goes on. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. 
idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we see these destructive passions and desires at war, the flesh versus the spirit. And so part of our role is to preserve what is good and godly. We, we battle against those things, and, and we help others to do the same. It's a war that we find ourselves engaged in. We, we're called to, to both um, identify and to protect others from this evil. Part of our purpose on earth is, for, is to preserve goodness and godliness. Now, secondly, we're to add flavor to the people in the world around us. We are to add flavor to the people in the world around us. Since we are people of the Spirit and not the flesh, we've been given some sweet fruit. When the Holy Spirit comes within you, he brings fruit. And, and it is the tastiest, the sweetest fruit. This is what everybody in the world desires to have. Listen to this again in, in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. It said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't this what everybody is longing for? Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, it's this fruit that every disciple of Jesus possesses. This is true of you. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have received his spirit, you have also received this fruit. And the purpose of that is not just for you to, to hoard it, to hold on to it and go, oh, I am so sweet. I love the sweetness of this fruit. I'm just going to eat it up. No, it's to share this fruit with others, especially those who have never tasted the sweetness of the fruit of the spirit. We're to share it so that it entices them, that draws them in, that they desire this fruit, and they seek it out and find that the only way to achieve this fruit that everybody is longing for is to have this relationship with Jesus to become different. And that's what we're called to do. So, um, again, part of our purpose on earth is, is to be flavorful and, and to affect those around us. It's, thirdly, um, we're also to help make people thirsty. We are to make people thirsty thirsty. Jesus is referred to as living water. John especially uses this term living water. And you may recall if you've ever been around church or even if you haven't, you may be familiar with this story of this encounter that, that Jesus had with this woman at a well one day. And uh, John 4.14 speaks of this um, specifically. And um, it, John recorded this interaction that Jesus had with this woman. Listen to what Jesus said to her. He said, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them, in them a spring of water, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, here's the sad truth. 
People are dying of spiritual thirst. People are dying of spiritual thirst. And it's part of our role, our responsibility to offer them this living water, this living water to make them so thirsty and to point them to Jesus because he is the only one that can quench their thirst for eternity. That's part of our role. That's part of our purpose. So we are salt. We are salt. And then Jesus said, we are light. Listen to his words again. He said, you are, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Again, notice this is a definitive statement. It's a definitive statement. He says, you are, you are my followers. You are the light of the world. He didn't say, y'all need to try harder and be like light. Just try a little harder, please, and be like light. He said, no, you're different. You are different. You have been transformed. So because you're different, be different. Just be different. This is your new nature. This is who you are. You are light. Now, what does light do? We see a couple things, again, from those, those devotions. Uh, the first one is that light dispels darkness. Light dispels darkness. If we turned out all the lights here and just one of us turned on a light, it would dispel the darkness, wouldn't it? And it doesn't matter how small that light may be. There's no amount of darkness that can overwhelm that light. See, light always prevails over darkness. Light always prevails over darkness. And we are called to be that light. Darkness represents sin and evil in the world. And light represents what is good and godly. What is good and godly. And again, no matter how sinful and evil the world may be, we have the confidence we have the faith, we have the assurance that Jesus has and will overcome the darkness because he is the light. He is the light of the world. And he says that if you're one of my followers, you too are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. So that's one of the functions as, as light. Second function is light reveals and it shows the way out of darkness. Light reveals darkness, and it shows the way out of darkness. And again, this is powerful. Um, that happens through Jesus' words. We see that, um, how he reveals what is evil. Just look at Galatians 5 again. He makes it very clear. This is what evil looks like. This is darkness. And he also reveals a way out um, through his word, but also through his spirit. His spirit will guide and direct us will guide and direct us. So that's what we see happening here. So how does that inform how we are to be different? Well, we are to dispel darkness. We are to dispel darkness. We not only tell people the truth through our words, but we demonstrate the truth of God through our actions. As they, they look at us, they um, are informed about what evil, sin, and darkness look like. And then we are able to show them that this is the darkness in the world, and this is the light that Jesus offers. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the bad news that is all around us, and we can show them how different they are. And it begins, again, that goodness, that light dispels the darkness. That's part of our role. Part of our purpose is to dispel the darkness through our words, but through our actions as well that people should look to us 
and they will see the difference, that we will uh, allow the light of Jesus in us to shine forth, to shine forth. So we dispel darkness. Secondly, we are to reveal and show the way out of darkness. And we share God's word with people. We invite people to experience God's word. So um, this is how we experience God. We, we can pray with each other. There is power in prayer. If you've never had somebody pray for you, um, it's amazing. Like you will have an encounter with God when somebody just lays a gentle hand on you and prays for you. Prayer is powerful. It's one of the ways that we experience God. Uh, another thing is just being in a place like this this morning with other folks that are, are people of light. When, when we are singing those songs, you are experiencing God in a personal and powerful way. And so those are some ways that we can do this and we can help to reveal the darkness and show a way out of the darkness. And we can invite other people to come along us as we learn to, to follow Jesus, to live and to learn and to lead like him. And then we can help to equip them to do the very same. That's what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. So we are to reveal darkness and, and help people find the way out of darkness. So um, I want to share with you a couple of illustrations that will hopefully drive this home and make it a little bit more memorable. I want to begin with this. Everybody should be familiar with this. This is a salt shaker, right? Is there anybody not familiar with this? Thank you. Thank you. Now, this represents us. This represents us. And you'll notice that it's empty inside. And that's how we come into the world. We come into the world with this emptiness within us. We long to be filled up. We long to discover what is our purpose on earth. And oftentimes we, we fill ourselves up with so many worldly things and we find that it doesn't work and we're still empty inside until we finally come to Jesus and we acknowledge our need for him. We embrace a life with him, we in essence become his disciples. And then guess what he does? He transforms our lives. He fills us up with his spirit. This represents Jesus. The salt inside represents the Holy Spirit and the fruit and the gifts that he brings with him. And so we begin to be transformed through that relationship with Jesus, and he fills us up and up and up, and he gives us a new found purpose. Now, why does he do this? Does he just fill us up with his spirit, with his fruit, with his gifts? Just so we're like, wow, I feel good. I'm rather salty now. I like this. Is it just for, for our own personal consumption, so to speak? No, he fills us up to be poured out. He fills us up so that we would be poured out, not just for our sake, but for the sake of others, that others will experience just his power to purify. You know, his power to add flavor to our lives, his power to make us thirsty for him, the source of that living water. We are filled up to be poured out. 
And don't be afraid that you're going to run out. Like he has an endless supply of salt. And the more you are poured out, the more he will pour in. And it is a wonderful, beautiful thing. You are the salt of the earth. Got another illustration. It's the flashlight. This represents us as well. Inherently, we have no light inside of us. We have this desire to shine, but we cannot. We don't have the power to produce light. But Jesus does. And so what he does when we come to him and we surrender our lives to him, he then transforms us and he fills us with his spirit. And these batteries represent his spirit filling us. And so, our lives begin to be transformed. We now have his spirit and his light within us. Now, what's the purpose of that? Is it just so we feel nice and warm inside? No. The purpose of him filling us with his light is that we might shine as well. That we might reveal darkness. We might be able to reveal sin and evil to the world around us, that we might dispel this evil, that we might be able to provide the light that people need to find a way out of the darkness. I'm going to ask you to turn out the lights. And notice how dark it is. But look at the power of one light. You notice, all of a sudden, this one light is able to dispel the darkness in this room. This one light shows us the way out of darkness. Here's what I want you to do. If you've got a cell phone, pull it out and turn on your flashlight. And let's see the power of many lights shining forth. Notice. Look at that. Like when we allow our light to shine, it makes a difference. It lights up the room. It dispels the darkness. And not only does it do that for us, but for those who don't have a light, it lights the path for them to follow. It shows them the way out of darkness. Isn't that powerful? You are the light of the world. So Jesus says, if, if you're one of my disciples, you're different. You've been transformed. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are different. So be different. Just be who I have created or recreated you to be. Be salty. Be lit. Again, help preserve all that is good and, and godly. Help to add flavor to this world, not just for yourself, but for those around you that have never tasted how sweet I am. Help to make people thirsty for me. Point them to me. 
so that I can quench their thirst for all of eternity. Be light. Be light. Help to dispel the darkness. Help to show people, to reveal to them what is sinful, what is evil, and to show them, show them the way out. Be salty. Be lit. Be who I've created you to be. Now, there are probably some of you guys that are here or watching online, and, and you may be thinking, I'm not sure I'm different. I, I don't know that I can relate to what you're talking about. And, and if that's true, if you've never had that transformation take place in your life, I want to encourage you that today can be that day. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer. It's as simple as ABC, where we admit that we've turned our backs on God, that we have been rebellious. We're going to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did what he, he, he claimed to do, and that we can have new and eternal life through him. We're going to commit, commit our lives to following him, to being his disciples, to living and loving and leading like him. Not trying, just allowing him to do that. And then um, we're going to have a time of prayer and reflection where you can continue to uh, seek the Lord. We'll have some folks up here that would just be honored to pray with you and for you. So let's pray. Jesus, we do come and we, we thank you for those who have answered the call, who have embraced you as their Lord and Savior, who have received the Holy Spirit and been transformed but for those of us who, who have yet to do that, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that um, we ask your forgiveness. We admit that we have turned our backs on you, that we've gone our own way, that we've been seeking to fill ourselves up on more and more of the world, and, and we confess that that has left us empty and wanting. We, we believe you, Jesus. We believe that you came to rescue us, to save us, to um, change our lives, to transform us forever and ever. And, and we commit now, we, we commit to following you, to being different as you are different and as you have made us different. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us up, fill us up, bring with you yourself, bring your fruit, bring your gifts, bring them, Lord. And may we allow ourselves to be poured out for your sake and for the sake of others. Lord, when we are fulfilling that purpose, we know that you are glorified. May it be so. We ask it all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.